what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry, and we serve as the directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and also of the annual Foot Candle Film Festival held right here in beautiful Western North Carolina every September. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. First and foremost, Chris, how are you? I'm doing good. I am interested to talk to you about the two films we've got today. One is the third installment of the Guardians franchise, and one is the third installment in Ari Aster's filmography. So uh, should be some interesting uh, comparisons and contrasting things. There. That's right. We will be discussing the two films or reviewing the two films, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the latest in the series of Guardians of the Galaxy movies from direct writer-director James Gunn. And then we'll be flipping gears and talking about the latest, as Chris mentioned, from writer-director Ari Aster, which is uh, Bo is Afraid. He is. Bo is Afraid, <laughs> starring Joaquin Phoenix. So we've got two films to talk about. After we get done with those two reviews, we will be uh, talking about some latest movie news. May even have a little surprise trailer to review and talk about with Chris uh, and just see what comes out of that discussion. And then, as always, we give our recommendations of films that we think are worth checking out at the end of the day. Something that you can find online streaming uh, for your viewing pleasure. Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film at the end of the episode. So, Chris, as always, I say this every single time we get together. We've got a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. You ready to get started? Sometime I'm going to be like, no, and just get up and run and out of the done. studio. And we cut the but cut that, the recording off, and it'll be the shortest episode ever. Yeah, but that's not today. <laughs> not today. we got too much to do. So let's jump right into our first review, which is Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. We were gone for quite a while. But no matter what happens next, the galaxy still needs its guardians. Hello. We come in peace. <laughs> come on, Drax. Seriously, dude? No, dude, no, no! Ow! <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, we follow our team of wayward adventurers led by Mr. Peter Quill, also known as Star-Lord. He is still reeling from the loss of Gamora, which, if that confuses you chances are you did not see uh gosh what films was it some of the other marvel cinematic universe films that would have led up to this this where we are with the characters most notably probably avengers in game avengers in game probably the one that tipped you off the most but anyway gamora played by zoe saldana is a different person now kind of it's complicated. There's a lot of backstory <laughs> here. I will say to the film's credit it does a good job I think of not bogging you down yeah. with too much franchise lore and history so it just kind of rolls right into it anyway back to the synopsis peter quill aka star lord he rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own on a mission that could mean the end of the guardians if not successful 
by that one member of the team. He's really talking about uh, Rocket Raccoon. So we get a lot of Rocket Raccoon backstory and uh, uh, character development with that that fan favorite character in the team this this time around. But it is still very much a team movie with a lot of the same characters we've seen over the last two. This is the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe entry. Chris, uh, I was not a big fan of the latest one that we saw, which was the Ant-Man and the Wasp film. Not a big fan. Right. But I am a huge fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy franchise. I thoroughly enjoyed number one. It's probably one of my favorite Marvel movies. And I really liked number two, even though a lot of people are a little more, uh, a little more ambivalent about it. How about the I Christmas like special? It. Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't that great, but I also don't really count that. It's, it's kind you. of a throwaway little, little, little nice thing to have out there just to kind of whet your appetite. But this is the one I was looking forward to. But Chris, I want to kind of toss it over to you and ask. Uh, I think I was probably a bigger fan of the other two films than maybe you were. So I'm kind of curious how this third one lands on its own as a film, just how did it work for you? And then if you want to also comment on how you feel like it continues the franchise positively or negatively, anxious to hear your thoughts. What did you think of guardians of the galaxy volume three? So as a standalone film, let's say if it didn't have the volume three attached to it, it was just a guardians of the galaxy. Like first, um, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Um, is it, Maybe overstuffed, a lot of characters going on, a lot of themes and storylines. Yes, but it never, to me, felt overwhelming. Now, granted, that was because I did have the knowledge of the prior two films, like you're saying. If I hadn't, maybe it would have a little bit more trouble standing on its own. Maybe it'd be a little wobblier. But as it was, with the knowledge I had going in, I thought as a standalone, yeah, I thought it, you know, it works. It was, it was entertaining, good film. Um, in comparison to the other two, like you suggested, not as big a fan as you are. I did like the first one, um, but the second one really kind of lost me. And I think the reason why was um, they didn't do enough jumping around to different planets, I guess. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, to me, which they did in the first one, is very much kind of like a space travel, like different things happening in space. And I felt like for the second version, which we won't rehash our review on that, but it basically was just like took place more or less on like a planet with, you know, um, but this one, there was a lot of hopping around a lot of different places. They were going a lot of different things going on and that worked kind of propel the movie for me, but I never got lost. It never got overly complicated. Um, and something that helped this film a lot and I'll, then I'll throw it to you. Um, with any Marvel movie is the bad guy. Um, with any superhero movie, it's not even Marvel, any superhero movie, mm-hmm. got to have a good bad guy. True. And this one succeeded in that. Uh, this this time out, the bad guy was the high evolutionary as played by, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher your name, Chuck Woody Iwuji. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how you say his name. Um, he was also in the Peacemaker series for HBO that James Gunn, the director, also kind of had a hand in. So, um he was really good as the high evolutionary. And I, it was somebody that again, really good as just a standalone villain had no idea who this guy was before this movie started. He's in the movie. You kind of get an idea of like what drives him and how he's, you know, a villain. And he just, he knew his part. He seemed to really, you know, dig in and enjoy it. And that helped me enjoy the film overall. What are your 
overall thoughts for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two? Yeah. So again, kind of setting it up. I was I'm I'm a big fan of of the first two movies. I like this franchise. I like the characters involved. So I was excited for a third one. Um, I'll say the third one's a little bit of a letdown for me, uh, only because uh, I'm trying to trying to kind of put into, into words my 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 take on this. I'll put it this way: when the film works, it works really well. Okay, but I'd feel like the working part of it was few and far between, mm. more so than previous films. You you mentioned overstuffed, and I think that's probably the biggest word I could use for this. This just felt like a lot of things crammed into a movie, almost like, okay, look, we know this is the third and final, quote, final outing of this team, so let's put everything, uh, throw everything against the wall and just just soak it all in. And it did feel very, very overstuffed. It felt very repetitive in a lot of times. I think there was a lot of uh, big action set pieces that looked very similar after one after another. It all kind of blurred together different scenes and, and sequences, which is not something I really did not remember being the case with the previous two movies. I felt like the previous two was very, the action was very clear. The, the, the momentum, the storyline was very clear. This one, I felt like there was just a lot more thrown at the audience and a lot more to, to digest. And I didn't care for it as much. The biggest thing I think that kept me from just really enjoying this. I mean, there are moments and scenes and elements of this. I really like, and I think with this cast and the characters they've created over the last three or so movies, it's hard to go wrong with this movie. I think this movie is going to be enjoyable for a lot of people. And I think you could walk out of it and say, yes, I enjoyed it. There were moments of this that really I liked. And I liked the characters. I liked the interactions. I liked the dialogue. Yes, I get it. I, I feel like, though, this is a film that overplays its feeling of being a finale no, to the point where it's manipulative. I do feel like this film is a very manipulative film. I think it knows exactly what role it's supposed to be trying to play. And it, and again, I'm doing this without being spoiler. I'm not going to spoil what does happen in this film, but let's just say there are so many instances where they want you to feel a certain way, like certain things are going to happen to certain characters and when they do or don't, it's it's almost like jerking the chain. It's like, we've got you by the collar, audience. We're going to pull you this direction. We want you to feel this way. Oh, nope, never mind. We're actually going to make you feel this way instead. It, it, it felt, I, I never have felt manipulated by these movies. This one, I do feel like manipulated to some degree. I feel like it's playing with the genre of it or, or the format of it being the end of a trilogy and it plays it like a harp. It knows what it wants you to feel and have emotions at certain times. And it got to the point by the end of two and a half hours, I kind of felt like they'd cashed that check a little too often. It's like, by the end, I'm just like, okay, get it. You know, yes, let's, we're ending. Um, you're wanting me to feel a certain way, but I kind of feel like you've already tapped that, that keg all the way along. And I, mm-hmm. I don't have any more, any more left. Sure. So there is that feeling of that. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, it's, no, it's, manipulative is the word I would put in there. And, and it's like, look, it does make it not enjoyable film. It's just at the end of the day, I just don't feel as invested or emotionally attached to it. Like I felt like I did on the previous two with this cast of characters for I, that reason. I, I will say I I think I benefit in that I didn't like the second one, which makes me easier for me to like the third one because it's kind of like a bounce back. I'm on the rebound with the franchise. So 
I think I did like it a little better than you, but I will say, I agree, a shortcoming of the film. So many characters' fates are teased mm-hmm. that it ends up diminishing the stakes because when the close calls are so numerous to just amp up the feels, you're kind of like, okay, you know, is this, what, what, what's happening here? You begin to see it coming. You're like, Oh, <laughs> okay. I think I know what they're doing here. So it, yeah, it diminishes things. Not to say, yeah, the performances are still great. The overall story is great, but just once too often, maybe you're teased yeah. in a way that's a little manipulative. It is. It, it felt that way. Now I share your feelings, feelings on the villain. I really liked the high evolutionary. I thought it was an interesting villain. I like the fact that there's no, there's never meant to be any kind of sympathetic bone to this villain. It's like, yeah. no, he's, he's bad. He's bad. He's doing bad things. <laughs> he has bad intentions. And that's pretty clear from day from the minute we first see him. And there's never a feeling of, Oh, we got to make him sympathetic or let's try to give him a lot of different layers. No, he's just, he's just a villain. And I like that. I actually thought that was good. It was a kind of a nice change of pace compared to what we normally see these days in super superhero movies where they try to make their villains a lot more complex and maybe multifaceted. Nope, this one, just bad. Just bad guy. Um, I think the film suffers a little bit from its probably, I think, most endearing character, and I think the one people like the most, being somewhat incapacitated for a good part of the film, and that is Rocket Raccoon. I mean, look, he's he's... It's amazing to me how the how the dynamic of the team and kind of the writing and dialogue is is different when Rocket's not involved. Oh yeah, and the fact that you know, and again, not not spoiling too much. I think this is kind of clear from a lot of the trailers you see. He is he is out of pocket for a good chunk, other than some flashbacks. But even in the flashbacks, it's not it's not quite the same character yet. We really only get the character in the last portion of the film, for, right. to some degree. And I think that hurts. I mean, I think it does because I think you finally crafted a team that they've got the dynamics of these characters and the dialogue between them so so smartly crafted that when you take out a key component, it's kind of like you have to fill those gaps with other players and those players didn't always feel as natural with that role. So I, I think it hurt the film overall. It was a good idea for a story. It just yeah, hurt the I'll, dynamics of the film. I'll push back on that a little okay. bit. I think some of the... Not that okay. Yes, flashbacks have been used tons of times. Some in re, you know Marvel films, but with this film, basically the flashback told you know a lot of Rocket's backstory. But at the same time, it wasn't just doing that. If if, if it was just doing that, I might have been a little frustrated by it because it takes up a lot of the film, like you're saying. But the fact that it did that and also kind of built the backstory of the villain without be, being no, boring. Yeah, yeah. So it achieved two things at one time. And like I said, the villain was really interesting to me. And actually seeing kind of, you think of, I mean, you, you always know, like you said, you always know he's bad, but then you just see how how bad he really is. Mm-hmm. And like the things he's doing and the reasons he's doing them, you're just like, whoa. So the education from on the dual standpoint, I think helped me not miss him as much, I guess, like you're yeah. saying, but I can see you're right though. The dynamic is definitely different within the yeah, team. I, I like the gone. flashbacks. And I think the flashbacks were really well done. It's just, unfortunately that means that, you know, even when we do have the rocket character kind of in the movie, he's right. not again, not going to spoil too much. <laughs> he's not the same. Sure. It's not the same. I almost wonder if Bradley Cooper was available of much more limited amount of time. Hmm. for this film 
because I got to guess, I mean, I don't know if he did the voice for young flashback rocket or not, but the, it sounded very different to me. So I don't okay. know. If, yeah, I, I don't it know. may or may not be. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, that being said, you know, I, I think, like I said, you can't go too wrong with this cast. You can't go too wrong with this group of characters. I still had a good time in general with this. But I wish I could say it was that one really great film to cap off this trilogy. And instead, the more I've even thought about it since the screening, I think it's probably the one I like the least. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Just because at least huh. with number two, there was a story. There was something that really grabbed me. And it wasn't just, oh, we have a villain and we have to stop the villain. There was something deeper there. There was something more uh, personal with the story, with the characters that, that, that I liked. I felt like we developed those characters more here. I don't, other than rocket, I don't feel like there was any really development with anybody. Rocket got a lot of backstory and development, which was great, but it's just, I I think the overstuffed feeling of the film kind of hurt it at the end of the day. And I wish there hadn't been so many jerking our chain about characters and their fates and and all that, that I think really hurt the experience for me. See, I, 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 yeah, I uh, I definitely don't have the same feeling about um, mm-hmm. the film as you do. I think for me, I appreciated, I felt like each Guardian was given satisfactory screen time. And I felt like there was development with Quill beginning to question leaving Earth. Uh, Gamora actually beginning to question who she is, even though she's now this different person which like you say, her backstory is kind of complicated, <laughs> um, but she then kind of questioned some things. Um, and then the relationship between Drax and Nebula and Mantis and how like Drax always playing the fool or not playing the fool, but kind of being cast as the idiot and how, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's some subtle things being done there about him being a caring person. And I, I don't know. I think, I feel like there's a little bit more shades of subtlety, yeah. but I will say, um, along with it, you know, we've already talked about, you know, our, our feelings about how they jerking the chain, but some of the overstuffed things I feel like they did too, was they maybe the cast is already big and I feel like character they brought in except for, I think she was in the Christmas, I know she was in the Christmas special, but they bring in Cosmo, the dog or mm-hmm. <laughs> not necessary, or I didn't feel like was necessary. And it, that in addition to, even though he's been in the other films, but Craglin kind of elevating him from like a supporting character to almost one of the guardians himself, which I guess he is on their team, but I don't know. I felt like that helped make it be too much. So the, the work they were doing with the, the tight team, I didn't mind, but then when they started branching off to Cosmo and Craglin and stuff, I was like, Oh, well, and then you got Adam Warlock played by Will Poulter. He's also, which, I really liked his character. I like what they did with his and character. And he's funny and he provides yeah. some levity, but it again, added another ultimately layer of not things, really yeah. necessary to yeah. me. When so. you when you have a film where you, you are exploring some a dynamic of a new character and then that new character disappears for so long and you kind of forget that they've disappeared, that's your sign that too much else is going on. Like you have lost the thread if you kind of are able to introduce this really interesting new character that I had a lot of fun with in the first 30 minutes and then gone for like an hour and then comes in for like the last 20 minutes. And you realize when he comes back, you're like, Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot that character's in here too. That to me is a sign of an overstuffed film where it's like you you're weaving in and out of new characters and new plot lines just to kind of add it to the mix. And it 
kind of causes you to forget things that have already happened. And that's what I, that's what I experienced with this film for sure. And I see, yeah. So we have the original six and I mean, I guess five, but then you add Gamora in the very first Guardian movie. And that was good. Second movie did add Mantis, but that's okay because I feel like she really brought a lot. And then she's, but then to add, increase the roles of two more characters, Cosmo and Kraglin, it's just like too much. And then to add the, um, the character you're talking about, Will Poulter's character. Adam yeah, Warlock, Adam yeah. Warlock. Yeah, just, it's like, just change the villains and focus on this team, which this is their story. It's volume three. We're saying goodbye. Don't worry about adding to it. Just trust that that's enough of a story, I guess. Yeah. So Yeah, I, I, I think we both agree that it was a, a very overstuffed film, a lot more going on than needed to be. And I think the whole uh, playing with fan uh, viewers' emotions and, expectations and the fates of their characters. It was, it was tiring and got kind of annoying and frustrating by the end of the film for me. Um, I'll say, I'm curious what you think. Um, Needle drops with a very guardian film. Music plays a big part. Yeah. Um, And you know, they had, they even do like the mixtapes volume one, volume two. And this, this one's no different. Has a lot of different needle drops. How did they work for you? Um, did they become, I've seen some people who have been to sneak previews say that they kind of felt like they were annoying at this point. It had kind of gotten too redundant, but what, what's your no, take? Cause no, it, it's was, a part of the film. Yeah. I was still good with them. Okay. And the film, the music was obviously much more modern music than what we'd seen before, but I was okay with it. I thought, I thought that's one thing I, I do enjoy about James Gunn's films. I think he's got a good style for how to weave music into a, into a scene. And I felt like it was good. If anything, there was some needle, some needle drop or use of songs. Mm-hmm. I felt like we were cut a little too short and gotcha. didn't really have time to breathe and could have been a lot of fun. There was like a particular Beastie Boys song that it's kind of cool when they started it out using it and it kind of fit, fit as a, a scene, but then the scene didn't go anywhere and the <laughs> song just kind of stopped. And it's like, oh, well, I guess we're not really going to get a cool scene from with that song. Um, so it was a little... It was overall good. I mean, I think it was good. I, I think I think the previous two movies used music maybe a little better, but I do think this one was was still fine. Well, this one, see there again. I'm just gonna, it's like every point I'll just disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I feel like, I mean, not overall. I think you are. I'm, I'm close. I like it a little better than you, but I think we're close. But this one absolutely had a better. I think it's my uses my favorite needle drop of any of the Guardians films. And it's the opening song they use. They use Radiohead's Creep. And it's a different version of it. It's an acoustic version of that song. And it really, it sets itself apart from the other two movies, which opened with more upbeat type songs, Mr. Blue Sky and mm-hmm. whatever the one was from the first film where he's like dancing around. Um, but it uses something that's very somber and it just kind of really set the mood. And it was so different <laughs> so i really really plus i really like radiohead so um i think well, it actually has my favorite needle drop some of the other ones yeah were kind of odd how they were kind of cut short or something but that one particular one really well, no, really worked and, and i think that film. one is really cool and i think there's probably a second one that i thought was really cool but overall beyond a couple that i can recall the rest kind of blur together so that's my thing with saying overall is a total picture. Yeah. I think the opening credit song is great. I think it's a really, really good use of music and, and it's something I didn't expect, but you know, looking at a whole soundtrack, I felt like I still feel like the other two are 
do a better job with a mixture of film music that drives the movie forward. And I think it just had to do with the, again, the overstuffedness of this whole thing. I feel like Mm. the music kind of got overstuffed as well. It's like, instead of letting, all right, think about a song like uh, in volume two, where um, in the woods, they're playing uh, summer nights by Glenn Campbell. And it's like, it totally worked. It was like a fun sequence. It like it worked with the music they were playing at the time. It was great. And I can recall that because it was like you let the whole scene play out. And it was like something original and fun about the scene. Here in the third one, I can't really recall another scene other than the opening credits that uses a song. And I felt like it really kind of moved things forward. And it really hmm. just had its own personality to the film. So, again, that's, that's kind of why I look at it. And it's like, yeah. I feel like there were just more creative uses in the in the sec outside of the opening credits, which again I did really like a lot. That was great. Um, so anyway, I'm tra- even trying to think right now what other songs were used. I'm like, oh, I think I can remember a couple little snippets of things, but overall, I think that's part of the problem. Is again too hmm. much was thrown in this movie and it didn't <laughs> let the good stuff breathe. Sure. Um, Something that surprised me, I'll say, just kind of a final thought. Um, I was surprised. Um, how much they leaned into, granted, it was tastefully done, but somebody who's sensitive to this, I think, should know before going in, um, depictions of animal cruelty. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it for rough. a P, I mean, granted, it is PG-13, but people that are, you know, triggered by things like that, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty intense. Well, so and I'll also add to that. that. I think the film had more, um, you know, James Gunn kind of got his start doing a lot more just graphic, uh, over the top violent Violence, films yeah. and all. And it's like, he's obviously tampered that down for these Marvel and DC movies. Well, the Marvel movies anyway, <laughs> this one had some moments of some pretty good gore and pretty good. I mean, yeah, it's pretty violent. Yeah, it's, it's a little more, there's more gooey, gross things than I think we're used to seeing in some Marvel movies. Plus, and, you know, I don't know. Not grand. I don't sit there and keep track. But I know there's an F-bomb that's dropped in this film. There's one, yep. And I don't remember that being dropped in any other... It may other... be the first one in a Marvel movie. Yeah, okay. So, I, I, I mean, I can't... I don't... There again, I don't... But it, like when it was... I was like, whoa. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, it was like, funny. It jumped out at it me. It was good. But so. it's, uh, it was definitely... I think they definitely pushed some boundaries with this yeah. film a little bit against the Marvel stereotype film. But um, I guess James Gunn is out the door. So he's like, bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> I get to do what yeah. I want. But so. it is fair warning to viewers. I mean, I think right. you're right about the animal animal cruelty issues and some scenes that are, can be disturbing for people. And then just for little kids. Yeah, it's, it's a little more intense, a little more graphic uh, violence-wise than the previous two movies, I thought. So, yeah. Um, Overall, look, I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good, enjoyable movie. I think it's one of the better Marvel movies in the last, maybe the last year. So I, I will say, now granted, I'd have to go back and rewatch them, which I don't want to. But um, I would say, to my for my money, it's the best since Endgame. Um, and it I'd might ha- be true. So might I, be true. Um, I'd have to go back and look at the numbers and see the list. But yeah, I mean, I feel like it's definitely better than the last three or four for sure that I've seen. I enjoyed this more. Right. Do I, is it perfect? No. Is it <laughs> as good as I like would have liked for it to have been? No. Was it to me as good as the previous two? No. But it's still a good movie. It's still enjoyable. I just wish they hadn't played with the audience as much and tried to do so much in this film that didn't need to be there. And I think kind of hurt it ultimately. So. Got you. Yeah. 
So we're, you know, you're more positive on it than I am. And that's I th- fine. I think it's good. just, a, and it's just because you liked volume two better. So I yeah, think your expectations were maybe, you I'm know, a bigger fan coming into it. Right. So my expectations were a little higher. You're right. You're right. So that is guardians of the galaxy volume three, uh, by James Gunn, his last Marvel cinematic universe entry before he jumps into full time DC universe film director and leader at this point <laughs> but guardians of the galaxy starting may gosh it'll start right after this film this uh, podcast comes out so uh right opening weekend may 5th may 5th so uh you know if you're a fan of the previous two i do say yeah it's fun to go check it out it's worth seeing just uh maybe temper expectations if you're like me but if you're like chris didn't enjoy the 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 this last one as much this will be a nice step up for you possibly. And maybe this gives you more of what you want from this kind of franchise. So, all right, Chris, let's move on to our second review. It is the latest from um, traditionally horror related writer, director Ari Aster. This is his latest, his third film, latest film. It is Bo is Afraid. Hi, Carrot. It's mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel and I love you. Okay, I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... It's not safe, is it? What do you think I should do? I'm sure you'll do the right thing, sweetheart. Indie director Ari Aster's third feature following the horror films of Hereditary and Midsommar is his most ambitious work yet and features Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix as Bo, who is afraid. Alan, were you afraid of the movie's almost three-hour runtime, and what did you make of the film? All right, so just a little quick backstory on this. I, uh, I, I, I just saw this yesterday. It was one of those things where I already had a pretty busy day, <laughs> and I, I knew I needed to see this film because I know we wanted to review it today. Right. So I eagerly got my ticket. There's a one-time showing of it in our local multiplex, so that's the one time, and I had to make my schedule work to make sure I could get there for that one time of the showing. As I go to buy my ticket online with my little trusty app for the theater, mm-hmm. I, I pick my seat. I'm like, oh, there's actually more people with the seats reserved already for this film than I expected. And then I see the runtime, which I was not uh, aware of when I got this. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a three-hour movie. Get to the movie theater. Still showing 20 to 25 minutes of trailers beforehand. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you not understand this is a three-hour movie? I do not need to be here another 30 minutes on top of that. Um, So it was kind of a fun experience I shared with you. We had a lot of (laughs) young kids in the audience, younger teenagers I didn't expect to have in there. People running it out of theater, kids. It was a weird thing, which is fitting for the film we're reviewing right now. Bo is afraid, yes. Um, What can I say about this film, Chris? Uh, How do I start (laughs) this? Um, I really liked it. Really? Okay. Well, good. I actually found myself enjoying with air quotes around the word enjoying enjoying this film i uh i'll admit in the first half hour of this film i thought i was going to hate this film because of some choices because of some uh directorial choices where i felt like it was just stretching out things Hmm. to make it as much agony as possible to watch okay for that first half hour i'm like okay if this is what it's going to be for three hours (laughs) i don't know if i can deal with it Okay. 
But to Ari Asher's credit, this film decides to take some very creative and innovative approaches to how it is conveying. Basically, we're following Bo, and you know, it's it's a lot of what he's experiencing and feeling as he's trying to make his way to his mother. Right. And that's all we probably need to sum up as far as a statement goes in general. This is a film that's open to a lot of interpretation by the end of the running time. But I think it's, I think the director does enough with what he's got in front of him to make it interesting and captivating for me to watch. Um, see that. Yeah, a, that's, that's all I'm going to kind of say <laughs> okay, right now. I want to sure. see where you go with this before I go further. So uh, overall, I did. I, I really like this in a strange way. See, I think, I think you have a much more positive response. So this is, this will be good. Um, I did not hate the film. I'm glad I saw it, but, um, I thought it was visually very interesting, but I didn't feel like it really brought anything new to the, um, miserable person in a miserable situation <laughs> niche genre that it was doing. Um, the runtime definitely did not help. Now, that being said, there were set pieces that I found to be really interesting. Um, and I don't want to ruin anything for the viewer because like you're saying, the overall plot summary is, yeah, Bo is trying to get to his mom. That's, that's what he's trying to do for three hours. Various things prevent this from happening. Um, there is a sequence that's, kind of a play within a play within a play within a play within a play (laughs) Um, that takes place in a forest with some actors up on a stage and it kind of devolves into animation at some points and um, kind of a bow in front of green screen type thing or walking Phoenix. All that I thought was, and narration starts coming in. I liked all that really liked all that. Um, You see a little bit of, you see hints of that in the trailer for this film. So, um, so I, I liked all that. Um, it's just overall, like it is very, this guy is suffering. This guy doesn't know what's going on. The tortured soul and just like a series of unfortunate events happening over and over and over again. Um, the actor, there's a lot of good acting in this, the supporting cast, uh, Nathan Lane, Steve McKinley Henderson, Parker Posey's in there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patty Lupone, who plays his mom. Um, yeah, all all really, really good. Amy Adams is a husband-wife team with Nathan Lane. She's she's really good. Um, and that, I was thinking they were going to take a whole, like, uh, misery kind of spin on things with that. So it's like... Ari Aster wanted to make a film. Maybe this is his therapy film. Hopefully he has a better relationship with his mother, but like, Mm. but he was like taking all these ideas and instead of like honing in on one using all of them. And I think it could have been subtracted and made it more unique or something. Um, I I don't know, but I will say there is stuff that I admire about it and I'm not going to get into spoilers, but I'll say something else that I like. There's a nod to Brazil, um, and if you see the film, you'll know what I'm talking about, that I did not see coming, and when it was there, I was like, huh, interesting, and the way that was used and how it played out, that really, really took me by surprise. So, yeah, and I I think this is going to be divisive for audiences. I don't know if there'll be many people that'll be kind of middle of the road like me. I think people are either going to like it or absolutely hate it. I think most of the people in the screening that I saw, 
I don't think they liked it too much. <laughs> you know, actually, I think the so, more I'm thinking about it and hearing you talk about it, I think I like it more now. You like it even more? No, yeah, just... I, all right, so I, I see the faults in the film, okay. and I get it. Um, you know, people, there are going to be people, and I, I might have been this way in the first 20 minutes of this film. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I don't understand the film. I don't know what it's trying to say. I feel like at the end, it's pretty clear. I feel like the film, if you stick with it to the end, okay, it's clear. Now, is that a good or bad thing? I actually feel like it was actually maybe a little too clear by the end. I I don't mind a film that's ambiguous. I don't mind a film that's in, open to interpretation. By the end of this film, I'm like, like the way it ends the scene again. I want to It's pretty cut and dry. Clearly telling you this is what this film's about, and this is what we're discussing, and this is how. It, and I like the last scenes. I think mm. those last scenes are great. But I also walked away saying like, okay, so I, yeah, it's pretty pretty cut and dry. Did it need all three hours to, to tell this? No, it didn't. But did it need all three hours for Ari Aster to be able to exercise some of these visual ideas he's got? Yeah, sure it did. Because each episode, I mean, this is very much a, if you want to compare it to the Odyssey, if you want to compare it to, yeah. I mean, I almost kind of envision it as Forrest Gump meets, um, uh, what's the, um, oh gosh, I just had the film in my head. It was by uh, the one who, the guy who did Pi. Uh, oh, Darren Aronofsky. Uh, what was the second film he did, or the Requiem one? for a Dream? Yes. So that's that's kind of what you're. It's 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 a journey. It's a one man's journey, and he's having these episodes along the way, and these little encounters, and little little mini storylines within that. But they all build to a bigger picture. But it's all in a haze of a some anxiety driven oh, delirium yeah. that the character's going through. So anyway, I, it, it's a little bit of that format and I like the format because the idea is like, I could see him encountering one group of people. And if I'm not terribly enthralled with that encounter, I'm like, well here a little bit, he's going to go somewhere else. It's that whole Homer's odyssey type of thing. It's like, it, it's, it's a journey. Now the fact that he's doing this all for his mother, <laughs> brings up a whole host of questions and things that are explored very, very intensely at the very end of the film or towards the end of the film. Right. Um, I think there were enough surprises for me in this film. It did end in a way I did not expect. I think there were some narrative choices made that kept the film very uh, interesting to me. Okay. Where it could have easily have just coasted into let's just visually and, uh, uh, visually and psychologically explore this person. But I mean, there actually was some sense of a narrative, whether you believe the narrative or whether you trust the person telling you the story by the end of the film, that's up to your interpretation. But I think, I think there was enough here to keep me engaged. And I found it to be, I, I found the time to run pretty quick. I, I didn't feel like it was three hours. Wow. I mean, okay. I didn't because by about halfway through the film, I think it got me, it got me roped in. I, I, I felt like, I felt the running time. I think um, that being said, it was interesting enough experience to sit through because of the way his, I mean, you know, you'd mentioned kind of in the intro to the show, Midsommar and Hereditary are more traditional horror mm-hmm. films, but I think this is still, you could kind of wedge it in that category a little bit because it's, it's still definitely got some, mental anguish and oh yeah. disturbing things happening. And there's still yeah. some very disturbing moments and elements to this. And the fact that you're living inside of this, this man's head 
And again, what he's experiencing, you always have to put through a lens and you're trying to figure out what's real, what's not. Is it all real? Is it is it exaggerated reality or is it not? And I love the fact that the film kind of plays with that. So, I mean, there's a lot of twists and turns in, in what happens with this story. Um, and there's humor in here. Very dark. Yeah. But much, there's humor. I mean, uh, between his three films, this yeah. has definitely got the most humor. Right. Um, sometimes it's at the character's expense. I mean, there's yeah. humor in not how ridiculous a situation may be getting exaggerated. There's humor in that, but there's just as many moments. I mean, a couple are still kind of seared in my brain right now. They're pretty upsetting and disturbing things that happen. So it's Ari Aster playing with this format, but at the end of the day, it is still a dark, um, disturbing film, right? Oh yes. You were clear of saying that. Yes, yes, yes. What's your thoughts on Joaquin Phoenix? I mean, we're with him pretty much the entire film, three hours here. What's your thoughts there? Yeah. You know, he, Joaquin Phoenix is a good actor. Um, I think, you know, it goes kind of without saying, I think most people would agree with that. Um, I think he gives a good performance. It's a very torture performance. Um, I, he's kind of a, a heavy set joker. <laughs> you know, the, the joker was very, you know, gaunt and put upon and had all these anxieties and everything. This is a heavier set guy, you know, but he, but he's still got like lots of anxiety and yeah. So, I mean, but, but Joaquin Phoenix is acting. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's good. He's believable. Did I feel like it was anything different for him? Maybe not. But um, I felt like this is the least amount of acting I've seen him do. Okay, it's a very you know, that's the character, like internalized. The character is responding to everything. Sure, he's not actually acting out on anything. Okay, so I actually found it to be probably his least involved performance. Hmm. Not saying it's a bad one. It's I just see. the character itself doesn't. Things are happening to him. Yes. He's not the act. He's not the activator of anything necessarily. Gotcha. He is responding to all the people around him that are reacting to his situation. Gotcha. And uh, so it is a very, I don't want to say restrained because I mean, he gets to act, but it is a, it's in a weird way, it's a smaller role than I'm used to seeing him play when he's the leading man. Does that make no, sense? No, that makes total sense. And I think that's why, I think that's why my comments on him in the film are so small because yeah, he's in, like almost every scene of the film. Yeah. But it's such a kind of knockdown performance. You know, yeah. it's not a, I guess you could say the Joker, well, in some senses was very big because he had to mm-hmm. become very showy. And this definitely never gets showy for his performance because he's kind of a beaten down character. So a lot of times it's just, yeah, everybody else is playing these big characters and he's yeah. just this, he's just, responding. he's just the one that's he's happening to. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting cast. You mentioned a lot of the cast names on there. I, I was I had no idea who all was in this film when I <laughs> okay. saw it. Um, and it's interesting how many people have different backgrounds and things that we're used to seeing them in mm-hmm. to be in this film. Like Nathan Lane. Never would have expected Nathan Lane to be in an Ari Aster no. film. No. Uh, Amy Ryan, you know, a lot more known for lighter films, a, a little more of a comedic touch sometimes. Parker Posey. Mm-hmm. Again, not someone I expected. I did not know was in this film. I did not. She was one that I did yeah. not know. Loved so. her role though. Oh yeah. That was yeah. great. Um, Richard kind <laughs> Richard. I'd heard his voice early in the film. You hear him through a phone for a good part. You knew right away who that voice oh, was. Yeah. Like, He's got one like, of his voices. That's another character that I did not expect or actor to be in a film like this. 
And I love that. I love the fact that he's bringing together a cast that's kind of an eclectic cast that you just wouldn't imagine being in a film. You know, when you've got Hereditary, yeah, uh, Tony Collette. I absolutely could see Tony Collette in a film sure. like that. I could see those characters. Uh, Midsommar, all the characters there. Yeah, I get those actors and actresses being in that film. Here, it's like, wow, would not have pictured these th- this <laughs> cast, but it worked. Well, um, and I think overall... Like with only he's made three films. Um, I think Midsommar is probably my favorite. I mean, it's hard to say favorite because that t- film's kind of a tough watch. Yeah, and no, I was probably I, my favorite. I think story. expectation wise, I was really because the trailer had this completely different vibe to what I felt like expecting an Ari Aster film to be. And it was a very different Ari Aster film, but I don't know. I was expecting it to be my favorite because, you know, but. It didn't didn't quite meet my expectations, but that's my fault. I still think it's an interesting film, and if yeah. you like his work, then it's worth checking out. I I I I liked it quite a bit. It, it's oh, yeah, I still like Midsommar quite a bit. I like all three of his films. So right okay. now, I'm totally in the Ari Aster okay. camp. I'm I'm a fan of all three of his films. I like all three, so it gets me more excited to see what else he's got cooking up coming up. Um, there was a specific question I was going to ask you about. This was A24's most expensive film to date. I can see that. Um, and I, it was a big budget film. Yeah. It's a, there's a lot going on. Um, yes. Sets and locations. And, of course, a big cast of actors we already mentioned. Um, animation, you mentioned a whole like almost 15-minute sequence, it seems like. Right. Animated that I really liked quite a bit. <laughs> um, actually, all of the set pieces I really enjoyed. There's a... We, we we follow one sequence of Bo kind of in his home in the middle of the city and kind of that what kind of the environment that's created kind of this hellscape he's developed, whether it's real or in his mind, but it's 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 some pretty interesting <laughs> sequences there, some great action involved in that. Mm-hmm. Then you move to the him getting hit by a truck and he gets <laughs> taken in by a group, which is the Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan right. sequence with their daughter as well. And kind of that interesting dynamics of that family. Um, gosh, then it moves, I think out into the woods and you've got the animated play sequence, which is great. Then I don't, then I think then he, he gets to his mom's house. Then the mother's house is a whole nother sequence and scene. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's an ambitious film. There was a lot going on, but um, I just, I wonder and like you say, I, I like Ari Aster's work. I'm curious to see what he does next. Budget was $35 million. And box office so far is like $5.8 million. Yeah, it's not too So too I'm interested, and especially for A24, which is a smaller studio. But they've then had the excess of everything everywhere all at once. So they're probably okay. But I just, I'm curious. I'm cur- I'm very curious. Um, you know, they, they, there's, a, there's a podcast out there that I listen to uh, called Blank Check. Okay. The idea of a blank check film where it's like, okay, you, your films did really good as a director. So we're going to let you kind of take on a project and you can just kind of write your own check about what you're going to do. I kind of wonder, I mean, I both hereditary and midsummer, I think were relatively low budget, lower budget films that made pretty good money. I think for the studio or got a lot of acclaim for the studio. Mm-hmm. So Ari Aster is kind of a rising star in making these films. And of course, lower budget, quote, horror films have done really well financially. So I wonder if it's a matter of, okay, yeah, we like this guy. This guy's doing some good projects for us. It's right up the A24 brand. Let's go ahead and give him a big budget project because he's asking for one. 
don't know if this is what they ultimately wanted or would have wanted to see because it's not going to resonate with audiences. It's just not. I loved it. I had a great time with it, but I guarantee I was probably the only one in my theater that did. <laughs> so let that be a little note to everybody listening. Yeah, This is not a film for everybody. Oh, no. There is a lot to process here. There's a lot being uh, digested in the film. There are some upsetting sequences. There are some challenging sequences. There's um, very interesting sequences towards the end mm-hmm. that I will say elicited both a combination of gasp and laughs out of my audience that I was with. I'll just say the attic scene. I'll just mm. leave it at that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was great, but... It's not for everybody. Uh, I will certainly say that. Not for everyone. Sure. So it's a talent, challenging, tough film. I think by the end of the day, it it is pretty clear in what it's trying to say and what it's trying to do. Um, maybe it didn't take all need all three hours to do it, but I was fine riding along with it for the for the duration. So most importantly, Alan, let's end with this: which was the better title for this film, Disappointment Avenue or Bo is Afraid? Oh, no, Bo is Afraid is much better. So Ari did a good job. Yeah, yeah. Disappointment Avenue is so generic. (laughs) Bo is Afraid, that sums it up. Okay. And that's really, I mean, even the last shot of the film, it's pretty much Bo is Afraid. So, yeah, it it works. I mean, it it works. Okay. Love it. I I had a really good time with this. Uh, I'm sorry you were a little less enamored with it. but um, I mean, expectations. Um, yeah, yeah. my fault on that front, but yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. So, all right. Well, that is Bo is afraid. Note. We did not spoil some very interesting things to spoil, which is good. Kudos to us, Chris, for not spoiling things as tempting as it could be. Right. I'll just say, if you go see the film might be, in, you're in for a wild time. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. All right, Chris, let's take a quick little break. We just finished our reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Bo is Afraid. When we come back, we will hit some movie news items. I've got a uh, surprise new trailer to show Chris. And we'll cap it off with our our recommendations for the episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films right here on TheMesh.TV. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. So I will just say, Chris and I just had a fun little discussion about Bo is Afraid while the mics were off. It was spoiler-filled. If you want to key in on this conversation, drop us a note. Let us know you saw the film and you want to talk about it. I'm sure we'll find some way to share some thoughts with you about it. Uh, We'll give you information on how to contact us at the end of the show. Lots to say with that film for sure. Um, Chris, let's move on to a couple movie news items. Okay. This is where we like to share some upcoming productions or things that we're following that we think sound really interesting. And uh, this, I've got two, two films I want to bring up that uh, one, you're already aware of, but I want to just add a little bit to it. This one though, I, I probably is a new news item for you. Okay. Um, you recall the last film from writer director, Adam McKay, which was don't look up the asteroid hitting the earth with DiCaprio and Jennifer That's Lawrence. That's correct. You yep. got it. The one went, it was a Netflix film. Yes. Um, was a successful film. Yeah, it was. 
And he was nominated for an Oscar. He was nominated for an Oscar. It supposedly was really big for Netflix. Like a lot of people saw it. I didn't really care for it. No, you and I had some issues with it. (laughs) But okay. Um, But you know, that was was our, our take on it. But it, Netflix says it's a success. So well, they're, they're happy so with it. because he's working on another Netflix film right now. Now, this one is, quote, a comedy, although we'll see, because I think Don't Look Now was also a comedy, but had a much, dark much, tone. much darker tone to yeah. it. He's partnering with Netflix again for his follow-up to Don't Look Up, and this one is going to be called Average Height, Average Build. <laughs> now so the, will the film just be Average? average. The film starring Robert Pattinson. Okay. He plays a serial killer. Okay. A serial killer that looks to leverage American politicians to make murder easier. So obviously we're talking a lot of cynical. Which Adam McKay politics. Yes, social commentary go. for sure. Political commentary. He did this with Vice with uh, uh, yeah. Christian Bale playing uh, Dick Cheney. And then also, of course, Don't Look Up had a lot of political and social commentary to it as well. This one, though, Robert Pattinson, uh, and then also Amy Adams is going to be starring in it as a state lobbyist that forms a unique connection with the murderer. Now, Amy Adams played Lynn Cheney, also in Vice. So, okay. Uh, this film also is going to include Robert Downey Jr., Farish Whitaker, and Dan- uh, Danielle Deadweiler. Okay. Uh, he's writing and directing it. McKay is. Um, doesn't have a release date yet. But they have been searching for a home for this film and Netflix after Don't Look Up made, quote, a huge splash when it launched <laughs> in December 2021. Uh, it, still, it still ranks as the Netflix's second most watched feature. Really? Um, after within its first 10 days of availability. Hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of the measure they use. First 10 days of release. What's their biggest film? Red Notice is number one. That's the one with uh, uh, The Rock. And Ryan Reynolds. Right? Ryan Reynolds, yep. And then this one was number two. And Gal Gadot, right? Yep, she was. Um, so, um, any thoughts, interest at all from what you're hearing? Well, I mean, it seems like it's going to be very dark, obviously. <laughs> um, but Robert Pattinson, I, actually, you know, him doing that, that him, Robert Pattinson in an Adam McKay film, but that's a, supposedly a comedy. Okay, and I guess he's playing a serial killer. Okay. That that to me is is interesting. Um, a lot could probably be tough when we eventually see a trailer. I'll be like, okay, yeah, this looks like it's going to be a disaster. Kind of like, well, a disaster, like the disaster movie. Don't look up, or will I appreciate it more? I, Adam McKay, you know, he's he's got he's done stuff I like. I liked um, the big the Big Short. Yeah, the Big Short. I like that was the big kind of his first one of these more serious comedies, but yeah, taking on very hot button topics. So yeah, it was the big short. Then he did vice. Then he did don't look up. Right. So, so I mean his earlier stuff that he did like with Will Ferrell, of course, you know, I appreciate those, but um, yeah. So I guess it's kind of been diminishing returns since the big short, but average, average height, average build. Is that what it's Average called? height, average build. Um, yeah, yeah I, I'll be interested. I mean, I guess it helps that uh, it'll be on Netflix, so the buy-in is very low since I already have a subscription. But uh, curious, I'll be curious. So yeah, so I mean, he's uh, yeah, basically ever since Anchorman Two was the last like straight comedy, comedy. film he did back in two thousand thirteen. Since then, yeah, it's been The Big Short, Vice, Don't Look Up, and now 
average height, average build. Um, he has been a director on some episodes of Succession, the TV show, which, which you are a big fan of. I'm I still a haven't huge seen fan of, and you have not seen yet. I have not. You need to get on that. Well, you need to get on watching Eighty for Brady. <sighs> <You're right. laughs> but oh man, <laughs> watching Succession is so much more fun, oh. though. <laughs> I would, you I would get, imagine. You got the easier part of the deal. You got <laughs> sure. more succession. Sure. Um, okay. So that is uh, average height, average build. I, I am interested in it simply because of the Robert Pattinson side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested. Him doing an Adam McKay film doesn't feel like a fit. And that's why I kind of like to see where it goes. So. Right. I th- yeah. I, I feel like Adam McKay, obviously, he's a very smart dude. He knows how to weave in politics. But always since Big Short, it's always gotten just a bit too heavy handed yeah. that it it's like either make a drama and have all this politics talking or have all this stuff in there or make a comedy because you can do funny, but when you try something about, it, he just can't quite strike the right balance. It's, for me. it's just, it's too heavy handed. It's his, a tough his balance. Attempts at um, social commentary. Right. Humor. It's, it's a little too, it's a little too much. I mean, comedy is hard. Not, yeah. Comedy is hard anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I think it is really hard to do comedy and then, to try to do like social conscious commentary without being sociopolitical commentary, without being heavy handed, even tougher. Yeah. You comment, it's so. also, it's very clear. And Adam, Adam McKay has, has very, very specific uh, leanings on the political spectrum. And I think he's not afraid to show those now. Uh, okay. Okay. So here, here we are telling him how to make this movie. Okay, good. We'll tell him how <laughs> Let, to make let's it. Let's tell him how to make it. If he can equally, everybody, I think every, you and I can both admit, despite how we may vote in elections, we can say that both, all politicians at some point, there are a lot of politicians on both sides of the aisle that do things that are just like, come on, or, you know, pander to certain groups and stuff like that. Like you can, so if he can equally balance out how he's politics as a whole, not just targeting one particular party. I think he'll have a successful film on his hands. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it could be very interesting. All right. Well, let's talk one other project that, um, this is one that's been mentioned in passing. I honestly didn't know a lot about it. I think when you maybe mentioned it in passing in a news or some sort of item. Okay. Did not realize this was coming up and it is happening and more details are coming out about it. Uh, Ridley Scott's, you familiar with him? Yes. Uh, is making a Gladiator sequel. This is something that we were vaguely familiar, aware of. Um, I've read up more or seen more about the casting involved, which I think is interesting. So this is a sequel to uh, Gladiator, which was 2000. So we're talking 23 years ago. Wow. Obviously, Russell, wow. yeah, Russell Crowe and tying back into our review, Joaquin Phoenix were in that film. Both of them died. At the end of the film. Now, see, I knew Joaquin was no longer around, but so yeah. Russell Crowe also died in that. Yes. Film. Okay. Both I of them remember. died. Okay. So they are not available for the sequel. <laughs> okay. Um, the original film starring Russell Crowe as Maximus, mm-hmm. a royal soldier, Roman soldier forced into slavery, vows revenge against Commodus, which is Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. Since Maximus dies at the end of the gladiator, this new sequel, which has not received a title officially yet, is going to focus on Lucius, the son of, of Lucilla, who was played by Connie Nielsen. This is the son that it's kind of a, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character kind of tried to take on as like his sire. Um, you question always whether or not maybe there was a relationship between Maximus and, uh, Lucilla played by Connie Nielsen. Um, 
yeah, the son was kind of meant to be the heir to the throne and obviously became king after Commodus died because it's Lucas, Lucius uh, is being played by Paul Mescal from After Sun. Right, right. Which I think is interesting. I'd heard that bit of casting news that That's Paul Mescal was going to be in. Uh, Barry Kagan is going to be in the film as well. So you got Paul Mescal, Barry Kagan, both in there, as well as Denzel Washington. Oh, I had definitely not heard that. Did wow. not know Denzel Washington. And then the latest, this is what actually made me bring this up as a news item. Hmm. Pedro Pascal has now wow. been cast in there as well. So now I was actually excited when I knew it was going to be kind of smaller actors, lesser known actors like Barry Kagan and uh, Paul Pe- uh, uh, um, uh what it, I just said his name, Mescal. Paul Mescal. I'm like, yeah. yeah, great. Let's do, let's make this like not bring in big star names. Let's kind of have it be like more up and coming actors and all that. Cause that's the way Russell Crowe got started. Russell Crowe was kind of an up and coming actor when he got into gladiator. He was not a household name yet. Right. So I thought it was cool. But then now you've added in Denzel Washington and Pedro Pascal. I'm like, well, okay. Luckily I like both of them. So I'm on board with it, but I thought it was going to be interesting if it was kind of kept very, smaller name actors to try to build them up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm excited because, well, yeah, I, Pedro Pascal, I like a lot. However, I feel like people, I feel like he may be in danger of like being in too much. A little too much. Because he's in like The Mandalorian. <laughs> he's in um, The Last of Us. And was, we're going to talk about something in a minute. Okay, so, <laughs> so I, I like him a lot, but I feel like he's just also in a lot. So I hope people don't get burned out on him because I really, I, but Denzel Washington, I... I am excited. Like I don't regret because I just feel like he's so talented. And it's kind of like when you have a Daniel day Lewis thing, you almost like Denzel Washington has never said he's retired from acting, but like he was in Macbeth, but that was something that was like a story. And he was good in Macbeth, the recent, um, Mm -hmm. Coen brother, Coen brother, not brothers, but Coen brother Mm -hmm. movie. Um, but you know, he just, he doesn't do a lot. So when he does, I want to see like, okay, what's this guy doing? Well, he's had a history with Ridley Scott. He's been in several Ridley Scott films in the past. That's, that's there. Oh, one other actor I forgot to mention, the kind of playing into my whole idea of up and coming actors that could kind of make a big name for themselves. One more I forgot that got cast about this. Uh, Joseph Quinn. May not recognize the name. I do not. Eddie Munson from the uh, Stranger Things. He oh. was the uh, yeah. rock oh, and roll. Munson. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's yeah. him. So he's also in this. He is in uh, playing Emperor Calacara, Caracalla. Okay. Anyway. I'll take your word. So, huh. I like those younger, newer actors in there, but then you add in Denzel. That's kind of cool. Um, so it's, it's sounding really, I mean, this project's sounding really interesting right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I am more interested in it than I would have thought of been because I didn't need a gladiator sequel, but um, I'm excited that he's doing Napoleon, which is supposed to come out later this year. Um, Cause that's like an original type. I mean, obviously it's based on somebody, but it's not a sequel. I hope both films make a ridiculous amount of money so he can do another alien movie because supposedly he said he's not done. Um, I really liked Prometheus, although everybody else didn't. Um, alien covenant. I think more people liked, but I actually didn't like, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I'm hoping I'm still hoping because I really love that world. I really love the films and I love that he's like doing them or still able to do them. So I'm just double checking here while we're talking. I want to make sure I don't as far as for Ridley Scott, um, Napoleon still on target for 2023. Okay. Okay. I've thought I've, I hadn't heard much about it, 
So and here we I mean, are already in May. It's so going to be a November, know. December type thing. So we'll make yeah. sure it wasn't something that got pushed off further out. Totally. Uh, but it is Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon. Okay. Interesting. With Vanessa Kirby. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. But um, then they don't have anything listed after um, the Gladiator se- sequel, right? For? For Ridley Scott as far as what he's working on. No alien oh. movie, Alan? <laughs> I don't <laughs> think no. I think he's. Yes, there is. <gasps> what, do they have a title? Well, unless More the title do they have a date? Unless the title is <laughs> Untitled Alien Prequel. <laughs> well, that's what it would be. So. Yeah, it'd be a sequel to Alien Covenant. Covenant, think, yeah, but before, but before Alien, Alien, yeah, yeah. He is he's attached as a director. He's got five projects. Okay, as director right now, Gladiator Two, Napoleon, and then uh, two other Sinking Spring. Well, that's a TV series. Okay, okay, and then uh, Queen and Country. An untitled alien. Uh, that, that sounds too far in the future. I don't well, know but it doesn't have the years for any of those other ones. Okay. So we don't know. Could be pick and choose whichever one he works on. Because I would really love to see another one. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, okay. Let me get on to our final last item, which is actually kind of a, a, a trailer. Now, here, I'll just, full warning, Chris. I did a search for trailers on the Apple TV website. Fair enough. Just right before we recorded. Okay. Just want to see, are there any trailers of films that maybe we slip by or we mean to talk about? And I come across this trailer. Uh, it is an official selection for Cannes this year. Uh, stars two people that one of them we've just talked about and one I know we're, we're also a fan of. Directed by a director we're also a fan of. And I've never heard of this film. Okay. But it is coming out this year. Have you heard of Chris' Strange Way of Life? No. Pedro Almodovar. Almodovar. Yeah, okay. Know who he is? Starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. Oh, wait. Wait. Are you familiar with this? Um, Okay, I didn't know Pedro Almodovar was the director, but I did know that there was a romance movie with these two gentlemen being a romantic couple. I think that's what this is. I do not think it is. Okay, so that's this a This is a movie. Western. There's, there, okay, there's a movie with Ethan Hawke where he's it's a gay romance that's coming out. I guess it's not this one. I don't think it's this one. Now it could be. Could be. But we haven't seen it. I haven't no, seen the trailer. No, I haven't seen the trailer either. I, seriously I just know have. I just know there's a movie coming out. This with, is called Strange yeah. Way of Life. The the description is a man rides a horse across the desert that separates him from Bitter Creek. He comes to visit Sheriff Jake. Twenty five years earlier, both the sheriff and Silva, the rancher who rides out to meet him, worked together as hired gunmen. Mm. Um I don't know. This could be the movie I'm thinking of. <laughs> I haven't seen, I, all I remember seeing, was oh, just, maybe it is. All I remember seeing was that there was a movie with Ethan Hawke and it was like a gay romance movie. I was like, really? That's interesting. Okay. This could be. And I, I don't know. But I don't this know. is the Western. We'll see. Well, we're going to watch the trailer together. Let's do it. Okay. The only other thing that's a little odd in Apple, if this is a, a, a typo on your Apple trailer website, just to make a note, it has the runtime listed as 31 minutes for this film. That does not make it quite a movie. <laughs> I'm thinking that may be an error. Um, maybe. We'll see. Anyway, here's the trailer for Strange Way of Life. Father. A woman was found killed in town. <laughs> okay. So 
Yes, so this does appear to be the film you were referring to, Chris. I think it is. Okay, and great. So they, I, I didn't realize it was going to be a Western kind of themed film. So that's awesome. That's cool. Now, I will say, to me, it seems like almost a mocking take on Brokeback Mountain. So, because Brokeback Mountain yeah. was um, Heath Ledger and um, the other guy, <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like cowboys, but then it kind of undermined the whole cowboy, you know, aesthetic by saying like, no, cowboys can be gay. And that was like a whole thing. Um, and that was an award-winning movie, Ang Lee, you know, just people, it was a really good movie. Um, so this one, it looked, but you know, I don't know if Almodovar is like poking fun at the Western genre. I, I don't know. It, it's The trailer was, it's odd. was odd. Yeah, it was odd. odd. It, it did seem like. I mean, you look at the poster, and I know those of you on audio podcasts can't see, but I mean, the poster kind of tries to make it look a little like light and more of a comedy, right? Which and maybe even the is. trailer kind of had a weird mixed vibe to it as well. So I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening with this film. <laughs> I'm enough. curious. Again, Pedro Pascal, Ethan Hawke, um, and it's got kind of the bright colors that Amadori uses a lot. In his films, he'll have a really like striking color palette. So yeah, I'm really just know. curious that the Apple website has this listed as a 31 minute long movie. Hmm. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. And you know, even in IMDb, it's got it tagged like it's little tag. One of them is short. Okay. So maybe this is just a short film that hmm. Alma Dovar is putting out. Which is strange. Yeah, everything about this project is now very strange to me. <laughs> Which I'm, strange I'm, way of life? I'm, fitting title. Strange way of life. I'm very curious about it. I'm, I don't know what what's going to happen with this. Anyway, hmm. strange way of life. It looks like it is a film that is coming out. Oh, when is it coming out? Sounds like it would probably be one of those things that would just be released to like Netflix or something to get wide distribution. Yeah. No, play at con, but then well, it says in theaters coming soon. Really? But again, how are you going to do a 31 minute movie? Yeah. If it know. is truly 31 minutes, I don't know how you would do I'm that. I'm very intrigued by this film. I don't know what is planned for it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So that's something we will be keeping an eye out for. Strange way of life by Pedro Amadovar starring Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. Very curious. Very, very curious. Looks to be a very unique take on Westerns. Yes. For sure. Which I'm good with. I like that. Um, Okay. Chris, now uh, that's our news. We finished news. We have no more news to share this week. So now let's move on to our final part of the the, the show. This is our trailer. No, I'm sorry. We just did our trailer. This is our recommendations. It's been a long weekend, long day. (laughs) This is our recommendation portion of the show. Chris and I both come up with a recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out. Um, and it needs to be a film that you know people can watch at home too, or see fairly easily if they choose to. Chris, what have you got for us as far as a recommendation this week? So I'm going to recommend a film that came out in 2014. We reviewed it here on the show. I was originally a little cool on it. I think Alan was a much bigger fan, um, but it is Christopher Nolan's interstellar. Oh. Uh, widely available for you to rent yeah. online. I don't think it's actually streaming anywhere, but you can rent it from the usual sources. But this is the team of explorers that travel through a wormhole in space in an attempt to ensure humanity's survival. Who are these team of explorers? Well, you've got Matthew McConaughey, you've got Anne Hathaway. Back on Earth, 
You've got people like John Lithgow and Michael Caine. <laughs> um, watching it, I just watched it recently. We held a screening here in Hickory in partnership with the, the Science Center, local Science Center. And they talked about black holes and wormholes. It was very educational. But also, the film was good. Um, and Timothy Chalamet is in the film, which I didn't reckon, mm-hmm. I didn't realize who he was back in 2014. I don't know that many people did. But this time, it was like... He came on screen. He plays a, a young version of somebody that originally or is then later played by um, Casey Affleck. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but right. then Casey Affleck, I knew. But then when Timothy, I was like, oh, that's Timothy. You know, so yeah. it's kind of weird to see Timothy Shelley. Early role and, for him. Yeah. Um, I like the film and I think I like it a little better now. Um, I think it's no surprise to anybody listening to the podcast. One of the things that kind of derailed me a little bit, two hours and 49 minutes. It is a long film. Um, and I feel it's like no Bo is afraid though. <laughs> no, Bo is afraid has 10 more minutes on it. Um, I think the thing is it, there is a lot of cool stuff that happens in space. And I, that's when the film really gets clicking for me. There's a first, let's say third of the film that takes place on earth. And it's a lot of, you know, filling in details and stuff, but it's, I mean, I'll just say it. It's, it's, really depressing. <laughs> and so that depressing portion before you get to some space and some hope and stuff, it was just a little longer than I wanted it to be. So that kind of dra- it really dragged for me the first time. This time it went by a little quicker. Um, but the performances in the film are really good. The, the science, apparently, from what I found out from the representative of the Science Center who was there, science is actually pretty good. Yeah, Not all of it. Legit. You know, there is some fiction mm-hmm. in there, but all it's pretty legit. Um and just the representations of like black holes and some of the effects in the film are, are really cool. So, uh, interstellar. And I found out recently is like one of my son's top films mm-hmm. is interstellar. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it, it's the same way. Okay. No, it's look, it's good. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a heavy, heavy one to process. And I remember after seeing it, you kind of, I was kind of drained just because it's so long and it's got so much it's chewing on idea wise. But man, there are some moments in that film. I'll tell you, there, uh, the 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 scene where because time moves differently and yes. they start to realize time, and they're getting video messages back from home. Yes, wrecks me. <laughs> I think in our original, so, I think in yeah. our original review, that was something that I was like, you know, that scene, McConaughey's acting, and I'm like, okay, yes, that That's, that was really good. <laughs> yeah, very well done. Yeah, very well done. Um, okay, good. Interstellar. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, you've come a little bit more around on that film. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Uh, so I'm gonna throw a, a weird choice at you. Okay. I don't even know how this came to, for me to watch this, but I did, and never seen it before, and actually was kind of surprised how much I thought it kind of worked. Um, my wife and I sometimes like to dabble in some older horror films, just ones that maybe we didn't see when we were young, you know, that came out about the times we were, we were young and because of our age, we just never got a chance to see. And we both like Halloween. We both like kind of the little scarier times. I'm kind of a Frady cat when it comes to horror <laughs> films. So I have to temper myself a little bit. I don't sure. like really, really uh, strong horror films, but this is one that she said, Oh, I want to see this. I don't know why she'd read some article about the production of the film and wanted to read and see it. So we watched, um, the omen, which is 1973, I believe. No, 76. Directed by Richard Donner. That's which, Superman guy, right? Superman guy. 
And that's that's probably why I decided to say, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see this because this is a so film he did before, before. Before, okay. He made Superman in 79. Okay. 78, 79. He made this one in 76. Hmm. But to think that somebody saw him do this movie, it's like, <laughs> oh, he would be great for Superman. <laughs> I didn't, couldn't see it. But um, there's definitely a look to this film that is Richard Donner. Like, I can see shots in this film and be like, oh, yeah, I totally <laughs> see between him and the combination of his, his cinematographer, I could definitely see how the look of what he did with Superman kind of, he has a look that he carried forward for sure. Okay. The Omen is Gregory Peck and Lee Remick starring in it. It is a story you should probably are aware. It's a uh, mysterious death surround an Amer- American ambassador. Could the child that he is raising actually be the antichrist, the devil's own son? And this was popular enough to get sequels. Oh, yeah. It had like three three sequels. Gotcha. Um, Actually, interestingly enough, I think the the fourth one that came out, I remember it was on HBO all the time when I was like a teenager, (laughs) actually was a young Sam Neill. Oh, really? Played the grown-up Damien. Damien. As an adult. Um, Huh. One of his like first big roles. Okay. But yeah, this is the original... um, it's dated, okay? It is 1976. It, the effects, the scares are very dated. Do you By ever... today's standards, this is not a scary movie at all. Gotcha. But there are three or four scenes of kind of sharp, uh, disturbing content. And, uh, and just the overall idea is kind of creepy, you know, in general. So they don't leave it up to question whether or not he is. It's they, The movie does make a stand on this is a bad kid. The movie makes a stand. Okay. Yes, pretty clearly. <laughs> okay. Um, and yeah, uh, if you kind of erase the, the really schlocky uh, effects in one or two scenes, uh, there's a decapitation, especially that's just like kind of kind of ridiculous when you look at it. I mean, I'm sure like a chandelier falling on somebody's yeah, head. Younger people watching are gonna be like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me?" <laughs> but back in '76, this was it was pretty intense stuff. Gotcha. Um, it's a better film than I would have expected. Better film than I would have given it credit for back in the day. Um, it looks really good. There's a moment very early in the film, like the first kind of bad thing that happens because of this child being around. That's downright shocking. And, you know, like even, you know, we're watching it like, oh, wow. Okay. Didn't expect that. And it kind of set the tone for the rest of the film. I I thought it was good. I thought it was actually a good film. And it's not something I would have sought out on my own. So thank you to my wife for kind of making me go watch some of these horror films with her. But, um, this one's uh, good. Now, I can't attest to any of the sequels. Okay. I'm Fair imagining enough. just like the typical horror movie that gets tons of sequels afterwards. You try to make a sequel off of a classic horror film. It doesn't go that well. I'm assuming the sequels are nothing good. But this one, there's something here. It's uh, it's actually a kind of an entertaining little film. So uh, that is The Omen and by director Richard Donner. And that's available. Was that streaming or did you just rent it? We had to rent it okay. on Prime Video. It is free on Cinemax online, which is why I got a seven day trial of Cinemax. I've already canceled. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that's how you watch it. Gotcha. Um, that is the omen. I, you know, if you're into kind of the seventies horror films, it's a, it's a pretty good one. It's pretty good. It's an interesting, interesting story behind it too. So, um, takes a few turns with the whole idea of parenting and uh, nurture versus nature that I didn't expect it to take. And I, uh, I liked it. It's okay. good. All cool. right. So Chris has revisited Interstellar and giving it a more pay, more favorable review than he did several years ago. I have reviewed The Omen uh, from 1976. 
that I think is kind of an interesting film to check out if you're into 70s classic horror films. Um, so Chris, we threw a lot of people, a lot of things at the people. We kind of overstuffed this episode, kind of <laughs> like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, kind of yes. like Bo is Afraid, kind of like a lot of things we talked about today, a lot True. of overstuffing of things. But if somebody found something in our conversation they really want to hone in on and follow up with us about, how could they go about doing that? Best way to do that is to send an email to info at footcandle.org. Uh, you can, yeah, tell us what you thought about Bo is Afraid or ask us questions about what we thought about the ending so we don't spoil anything. Uh, you could also follow us on Twitter at Foot Candle Film. We're also on Letterboxd where we try to track what we're seeing and sometimes leave short reviews. Do us a favor. Give us a star rating, write a review, share with some friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcasts on to help us reach new listeners. We would appreciate it. And last but not least, the announcement that we're contractually obligated to do because this is Foot Candle Films. We have a society and we also have a film festival. Our 2023 version of it will be running September 15th through the 24th. We'll have details about films and activities and stuff coming up later, probably late June, early July, around in that time frame. We'll be able to like post schedules and stuff like that. But if you are in the Western North Carolina area in September 15th through the 24th, try to plan to attend. Absolutely. We'd love to have you come join us here in uh, beautiful Western North Carolina, the Catawba County Hickory area, where we have the Foot Candle Film Festival this coming September. All right, Chris, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. And we look forward to talking with you all next time about some upcoming movies and movie reviews. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.